today we are serving up the dish, the, the, the deep dish, not just any dish, and we are serving this dish hot. In the comics industry, as with any industry, there is so much dish to go around, and today we are going to deal with the dish from, from DC Dan. Did DC Dan have a blacklist? Well, according to comic book's very own, and we have our own Larry Legend, comic book's own Larry Legend and Mighty Mark, there was a blacklist. And and a lot of people that you've heard were on it, including people who are really familiar to your host. So today we are going to serve up a dish called DC Dan Against the World. It's coming in hot right now on a brand new edition of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been writing, producing, creating, drawing, illustrating, inking, distributing comic books for the last 38 years of my life. This was my destiny. This was the only thing I felt that I was qualified to do in life, and I knew it from a very young age. The the idea of me going to college and, and pursuing higher learning was never going to happen. Uh, comic books were the only uh, thing in my future back in, in, in 1984, 1985, as I was approaching my, 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 my you know, graduation, getting out of high school and getting into comic books. And I have been very fortunate that in 1986, I did indeed break through, break in, start getting my work published, working my way up the ladder, getting uh, professional assignments from all manner of independent comic book labels. And then eventually at uh, Marvel, DC Comics, where I was able to create amazing uh, opportunities. That, 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 that's really what it was. It's, it's, it's opportunities. And through those opportunities, uh, give the world Deadpool and Cable and X-Force and Shatterstar and, and start the third largest uh, comic book company. Like It's been the third largest comic book company for, for going on 30 years. That's Image Comics partnered with amazing talents to, to launch a label that has uh, just tremendous, tremendous impact to this day. Comic books have been my passion for as long as I, I remember, and I get to come here and talk to you about it each and every episode. That's Really, we're just here to talk comic books, shine the spotlight on the characters and the creators that have uh, made these characters pop, that, 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 that have moved so many of us that have inspired us. And, and that, that's really where my passion and my interest in doing this, com- that, that, that this podcast comes from. I am uh, not a professional podcaster. You'll figure that out pretty quickly. I, I always still uh, get, get, a little, get a little nervous when I, when I turn on the, the, the microphone. It is 4.30 a.m. Uh, Pacific Coast time as I record uh, this episode that you will uh, hopefully receive you will hopefully receive on Tuesday, October 24th. And even right up to the moment that I came into this microphone, I, I was, you know, balancing which of these topics am I going to hit and, and, and keep sharing. And the great thing is the comics industry, just like the movie industry, just like the sports industry, there's always something to talk about. There's always some new subject. The primary uh, journey that I have asked you to walk along with me during this observations podcast is my own personal viewpoint of comic books since I started pulling them off the spinner racks when I was seven years old and I fell in love with Fantastic Four and X-Men and Avengers and Spider-Man and the Justice League 
And, and, and that journey just never stopped for me. I have been, I, I've said early on in the podcast and in our first season, I said, I am a consumer. I don't like just read comics and I don't mean consume them like I'm a consumer and I'm in the, in the financial, uh, sense of the word. I mean, I'm like a consumer, like I'm consuming it. Like I consume a plate of, of, uh, you know, French fries. Okay. I, I am consuming comics and I've been fortunate to meet absolute amazing great titans many of them no longer with us but stayed the course continue to produce comic books continue to be part of the discussion part of the field uh i i'm of an age that is getting older and i'm seeing less of my own peer group and the comics industry is ever changing ever in flux but what's not changing is that these stories and the people who gave them to us are continuing to be adapted with mega budgets, $200 million budgets are now kind of the norm for, for these big scope comic book projects. And I'm not saying that's, that's uh, optimal. You know, even, even projects that I have of my own uh, comic book projects, I'm always looking to try and make it on the lowest budget possible. I want that success story that comes from being smart and, and, and pinching every penny and, and not letting the budget spiral out of control. And having one of those great, like like a John Wick success story, because that is such a great success story for how 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 little they spent to make John Wick and bring it to screen, and now it has become this mega franchise. And and maybe 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 it's gotten too big. In my in my opinion, you know, I, I really I love the first John Wick movie, and yet with comic book movies, it just seems that they just get ready right off the bat to write those big 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 checks, and 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 then there's big big expectations to come along with them and and some of those movie projects and streaming projects they deserve it because uh they're a follow-up they're they're maybe the third or the fourth in the chapter and audience expectations generally uh go up not not back even though you'd be surprised sometimes maybe going backwards is is the right move you just got to read the room you just got to read the instincts at the time but watching the comic books that i've loved become these grand you know grandiose uh cinematic experiences and and especially now that we have all these grandiose cinematic platforms like like how IMAX and 40X and all these different uh you know experiences have uh, have 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 come to be in in your local cineplex it's it's more like riding a roller coaster now so you know if you're going to go see as I did on my 10th viewing of Top Gun Maverick to keep it interesting with my family you know I had water squirt in my face wind um, that the, the, those experiences, I mean, they're going to cost you $25 a ticket, but they're pretty great. They're pretty great. Also, uh, do not, uh, bring a ton of food. It will fly at you as the guy who had the bucket of popcorn next to me, um, found out when it all kind of, uh, shifted and, 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 and threw up on him because some of these, like, I'm telling you, like, like the, the, these, these theater experiences, if you get the right one and that, that chair is going to go left, right, hard, it's going to go forward backwards hard and some of you are like no i did that look it took me a while it took me a while to experience it but uh, i did experience one superhero film uh in in that in that way too and again you know the gusts of wind the shake of the power in the in the chair i mean again comic book movies have become really uh companion pieces to, to roller coaster rides and and so again watching this happen from a kid who was buying comics in 1972 has been 
uh, just, uh, it's been a journey. And so I've tried to take you on that journey during observations. And along my journey, pivoting all the way back to comic books, because I think the comic book creators, and I'll say this each and every time, I think the comic book creators are so, uh, not only are they geniuses and brilliant and, and, and deserve, uh, deserving of so much more attention, uh, they're, they're, they are slightly overlooked, which, which then begs you know, the statement that they are indeed you know, deserving more attention. But the comic book uh, community continues to kind of be uh, further, further down. I think the food chain, obviously, as a society, we consume our, let's call them movie stars first and foremost. And I know I was, I, I was raised in a house that loved movie stars. My mom loved movie stars. My dad... Honestly, to be honest, couldn't give a shit. He just did not care. When he drove me to see Star Wars and Superman and we had to go into other cities, I didn't understand why we were driving to Garden Grove to see Superman. I didn't understand why we had to drive to Orange to see Star Wars the first time. But he said, Rob, you know, I can't be seen at at, at the movie theater because he was a Baptist minister and he was very, my dad was very strict and, 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 uh, and slightly boring, slightly dull. And whenever I would come out all hyped from a sci-fi or a superhero movie of the, of the time, and this is this would be like 77, 78, 79, he, he would say, I'd say, what'd you think, Dad? What'd you think? Did you love that? Oh, man, did you love that? And he, and he said, you know, Rob, or he called me Robbie. You know, Robbie, I love a good drama. He would not call it a drama as I, was, as I, as I saw the word being, and heard the word being pronounced pronounced as i heard the word being pronounced like on television and oh that's a drama that's a drama um he would call it a drama because you know they didn't wash the clothes in the midwest they washed them did your did your mom ask you to wash the clothes my mom did uh they were both from the midwest but i was raised here in born and raised in in orange county southern california all the only really home uh i've ever known but my dad would constantly come remind me that he he likes a good drama so you know uh, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola were more his his uh, his cup of tea. But Patty Liefeld, she loved movie stars. She loved Robert Redford. She loved Paul Newman. She loved Barbara Streisand. Okay, my my mom, we, she bought People magazine, Us magazine. These are habits that she handed down to me and my sister because we also became obsessed with movie stars. And of, of course, of our era, it would be the Tom Cruise, the Brad Pitt, the Julia Roberts, the Sandra Bullock, uh, you know, John Travolta. But but. We elevate them above all else. Then, then you know, since the, the, the explosion of really the director-driven genre cinema, it was about directors, right? In the 70s. And that's when you got Spielberg, Coppola, Scorsese, Lucas. You got William Friedkin with Exorcist. You got all this stuff. You, you, these guys took more of the spotlight. They were more interesting. And, and then that, that continued. And then, the, then there was the age of the producer, Bruckheimer. I mean, how many good God in the 90s did, was everything and this is a compliment produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. He was a prolific dude, prolific dude. But comic book people still haven't really made it into the limelight in, 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 in the proper manner that they, that they should have. And I think we can all agree the one who went the furthest, the farthest, got the most well-known and, 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 and deservedly so because alongside with Jack Kirby, he gave us the most well-known of all of these. I've always joked with you guys on the podcast that my mom, my, 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 my mom, my wife, my wife would ask me, uh, who created this? Who created this? And, and, and I've always enjoyed saying we're still in Stan and Jack land. We're still in Jack and Stan land, whether it's Black Panther, whether it's Silver Server, whether it's, you know, Fantastic Four. Um, 
you know, X-Men, Avengers, Iron Man, you know, throw Don Heck in there as well for Iron Man. But anyway, uh, obviously, you know, he, he grabbed the, 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 the limelight when these books, when these comic book movies are the biggest from 2008 to 2018. And really, man, the other day, this last weekend, because we, we, we were on a, uh, we have a place up, up in the high Sierras that we go to uh, with, with my, my uh, father-in-law, with my wife's dad. And the kids have been going, Joy, Joy's been going since, since, for, since 19, I think she said 78. And, and, uh, and I've been going since 1992. So, so 40 years, 30 years between us. I mean, she, 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 she's literally been going since she was eight years old. I started going, you know, in my early twenties and, and we have raised families and experienced all this and very low tech, no signals up there. You're not getting into your technology. You're gonna have to drive down the hill and get some some of that. But being caught up with my nephews, uh, of which I have several, uh, th- three specifically, my my, my sons, of, of which one of them uh, was was on this trip, and talking about the age of Marvel cinema, cinema, and and my 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 uh, nephew, like my son, was you know eight years old. To, to he was eight, and then he was eighteen when when the when the Endgame came out. Eight in two thousand eight, you know, eighteen when. When uh, when I'm sorry, Infinity War came out. Nineteen when when Endgame came out, and and it's like that. That's a definitive part of their lives, and it's interesting. I, I thought maybe Kevin Feige should sit down. Maybe he is. Maybe he's having discussions, you know, with 23 year olds right now, and 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 getting feedback on what made that period so special. But no one expected the comic book movies to blow up in the way they did, and so I've spent the last 12 minutes really uh, slowing down the pace uh, of what I normally do. In talking to you about the wonderment of, of comics to cinema, but back to the importance of the people that make the comics. And today we're going to get a little juicy and talk about one of the people, actually several of the people that make the comics. And 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 with, with I mean, the industry, the comics industry itself is very small, even though it's bigger than it's ever been. It's small, but it's bigger than it's ever been. Uh, the entertainment industry. Uh, much bigger. Think of all the shows. Think of all the sound stages. Think of all the crews. You know, uh, comic books. When I broke in, you know, in the '80s, it was kind of in a in a 20 year mark of, of of Marvel comics, and and it 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 was a very close knit community. The conventions that I attended to, the comic store signings, they were in no way attended in the way that they are now. Not one single show had the population of a san diego comic-con 2023 or a new york comic-con 2023 there there just wasn't that many people that were drawn to what was going on in the world of comic books and they certainly hadn't broken through into the world of greater media and i've covered that so many so so often in so many episodes in the back catalog i invite you to go check those out and check out those topics because i'm not sure anyone wants to hear about the linda carter wonder woman or the lou ferrigno hulk shows any more than i've touched on that on them in the past but you know, now that they've gotten so much bigger, uh, and their and their reach is is so is is so more extreme that we have drawn so many people, and obviously we've mixed in manga and anime, who are just that both of those genres continue to boom, possibly bigger than any uh, Western superheroes or Western superhero films, and and so the, the 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 medium has really expanded, but comic books still as a community, even though it's as big as it's ever been, it's still small. It's still small enough that we recognize each other, read about each other. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm becoming uh, the old man of comics. Now, as long as Jim Steranko, uh 
Jim Nick Fury Stranko, Jim Captain America Stranko, Jim X-Men Stranko's around. He, he's going to be the elder statesman, okay? One of the last elder statesmen of comics, given that Neil Adams and, and John Reed Sr. And, 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 and Jack Kirby are, are long gone. You can say, oh, also, there's, there, there's Roy Thomas, and, and, and there's Jim Shooter, and there's Walt Simonson, okay? So, and Howard Shaken, and, and some of these guys, you know, obviously, they're the elder states, statesmen of comics. Now, my peer group, we're behind it, but we've seen enough. We, we've got, you know, in my instance, in my peer groups, we, we've danced, had our foot in five separate decades uh, between 38 and then the, the guys who are older than me in my own peer group, you know, for 40 plus years in the business. And, and yet, you know, we, we are, uh, we hear about all the, all the dish, let's call it the dish, not the dirt, the dish. And today we're going to do a little, we're going to talk a little dish. Uh, and it's, and it's, and it's about some of these people that I've already mentioned. One of them in particular, we're going to give him even more due than we always do. And we always give uh, due to this gentleman because what he did was absolutely, uh, just incredibly significant. But over my time, I'm going to kind of walk you through over my time in comic books. I always, uh, like to talk that I interacted with uh, now seven different editors in chief. Let me see if I got that right. I started with Jim Shooter, then went to Tom DeFalco. Then there was a period that people forget about, but the people in the business will go, oh, yeah, yeah there's that one year that Marvel split it up into five different editor in chiefs. Five different editors basically ha- had that post. Then there became, then there was Bob Harris. Uh, then there was Joe Casada. Then there was uh, Axel Alonso and now CB Savolsky. So all total, that's seven different people who ran, uh, had the executive position, editor-in-chief title. And again, the group, the group editor thing lasted one year. It was, it was a semi-experiment. And it wasn't something that they hadn't been used to. Prior to Jim Shooter, there were multiple, in the early 70s, multiple people uh, at Marvel. Uh, and let's be honest, they were, at, the, at the time they were men. But Marv Wolfman, Len Wein, uh, Jerry Conway, these guys were... They wrote and edited their own books so they could write them and then package them and hand them in. So they were their own editor. That, 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 that was also a source of some criticism from within the business. I wasn't there. I didn't know, but I've read about it. And you can see where that comes from because, well, if you're editing yourself and then who's challenging you? Uh, but then Jim Shooter uh, was formerly the legit. Now, again, Archie Goodwin, there's other names before him, but the the, the modern editor-in-chief in comic books was modeled after what happened with Jim Shooter, who I hold as the greatest editor-in-chief in the history of comic books. And if, if, if you're going to give me an editor-in-chief that gave me something equivalent to Frank Miller's Daredevil, Walt Simonson's Thor, John Byrne's uh, Fantastic Four, John Byrne's Alpha Flight, Chris Claremont and John Byrne's X-Men, Chris Claremont's X-Men, uh, that then open, and, and the incredible Avengers sagas that Jim himself wrote uh, the Korvac saga, the Ultron saga, the Bride of Ultron, uh, just incredible works that, that happened during Jim's and talent that was discovered and, and really blew up under Jim's, you know, uh, tenure as, as, as editor in chief. And then he introduced, uh, the world to the miniseries and then the mega event series which was secret wars i mean think about how many times that you've read about the secret wars coming to film secret wars coming to film secret wars coming to film maybe it's the russos maybe it's these guys we see it all the time that doesn't happen unless jim shooter and mattel uh create this secret wars uh 
comic book and toy initiative and the comic book explodes. The cover to Secret Wars is so ridiculously iconic, illustrated by Mike Zeck, John Beatty. And it was a giant uh, event in, in the world of comic books. It brought, it was the milkshake that brought the boys to the yard, to, 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 borrow, to borrow a popular, a popular phrase, okay? It, it got people, it got butts in the seats, it outsold everything. And it really, there are people, and I've said on my Jim Shooter-centric episodes, that say after Secret Wars, that's when Jim's uh, ego, and understandably so, became maybe more uh, consequential for everyone around him. Uh, he had really pulled off an amazing feat, hit sales figures that the company hadn't seen, and maybe took and took that and reflected on his own authority. And there are people who opposed him who will tell you that that's exactly what happened. We, as as comic book uh, fans at the time, and I was just breaking into the industry in his last days, we just enjoyed the comics. But when I would go out and go to New York City for my one-week visit, DC, Marvel, and, and go to these conventions and hang out with the talent. Boy, it was all the dish, the dish, the editor-in-chief, the dish. The editor-in-chief's the guy at the top. He's always going to get the, uh, the stones thrown at him for good, for bad, for worse. Uh, Tom DeFalco had an incredibly strong showing, given that it was under him uh, that, that, that Spider-Man sold $3 million, X-Force was created and launched to $5 million, and Jim Lee sold $7.58 million, whatever that giant number is. Uh, Eight. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's eight. So let's let's uh, let's go with eight. So eight, five, three. And I mean, and, and that's all like in a 14 month period that three comics totaled, you know, like 17 million copies. I just did the rough math, okay? Uh, but 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 I, I'm I'm like it's just incredible. It, it's it's just incredible what happened. And and uh, and and the marketing department at Marvel at the time was was exploding. But these. Editors and chiefs, you wonder why did they get the power? Why did they get uh, that 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 position in the first place? Because look, through all of them, and I've known all of them, and and I like them all with different degrees. Uh, I think Jim Shooter wanted to keep his job in the same way people. You know, the most popular question I get is, "Why did you create Deadpool and Cable?" And my answer is, "Because I wanted to keep my job." That's the most basic answer. I wanted to keep my job. New Mutants wasn't doing well. I had to turn the ship around. I needed new toys. I needed new stuff. So I created new stuff. That was the impetus. That was, it was desperate. I, if you've read so much of what Jim was doing at the time, he wanted to keep the comic book company in the black. He wanted to keep uh, the, the, them on the right side of the ledger. They had come out of the red. They were, they were, they were bleeding red ink in, in 1977. The, the Star Wars license was key in saving them. Jim took the helm shortly thereafter and wanted to just keep pushing the success of Marvel. And, you know, one San Diego, they brought all the editors out for San Diego. And, you know, he wanted to really treat his staff and, and his people as, as best they possibly could, take them out to the Pacific Ocean, San Diego, beautiful city, beautiful experience. Probably for, for some of those editors, the first time they were, they were experiencing that, he tried to get loyalty and, and inspire uh, those around him to, 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 to do what he wanted, which was to keep pushing the envelope. And look, uh, Towards the end of his reign, you're you're getting the 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 the, the new blood in, in comics like Art Adams, like Mike Mignola. You got all these new voices coming in. Uh, Rick Leonardi, kind of in the middle of the end of his reign. A lot of these great talents, but but some of these editor in chiefs that followed, I, I've seen some of them absolutely one thousand percent 
crave control, power, and want to change things. They want to change things. Now, currently, I am uh, enjoying my, my interactions with C.B. Cebulski, who I have known for a great many years. And uh, I think he was charged with being the editor-in-chief of the company right at the gate. Uh, we, we entered a pandemic, okay? About at the, a year into his uh, wearing the hat, we entered a pandemic. And getting out of that has kind of dominated uh, the, 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 the comic scene for each and every editor-in-chief, no matter what. But the guy we're going to talk about today and the dish that we're going to spill, this, this, you can't make this stuff up. And this stuff comes to me. And when it comes to me, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to, and, and today, the great thing, it's the best part. I just get to read to you what people are saying. I get to read to you what people are saying. Dan Didio, we're going to call him DC Dan. DC Dan uh, took the helm of DC Comics in the mid-2000s. And uh, what, if I told you that, you know, like I can't really think of anybody right now at Marvel who has on their resume something as dramatic as Secret Wars. That's a big resume piece. That's a giant, like, yeah, I'm the guy. And, and again, go, let's go back. Look, the comic book came out in 1984, but we are still talking about the film, the, 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 the cinematic adaptation of, of, of Secret Wars that, that everyone is anticipating. Kevin Feige, you know, uh, new writers for Secret Wars. Who's going to direct Secret Wars? The Road to Secret Wars. I mean, it, this is, yes, Secret Wars was given a sequel in 2015, 2016. I think Jonathan Hickman did it, but you, you don't get to the sequel without the original. The original. Secret Wars that introduced the Beyonder uh, and, and, and this incredible conflict and, and it just huge success. Huge success. Put maybe the biggest resume piece. So much so that when I was speaking with Chris Claremont at the New York Comic Con in 2023, we were both at the CGC booth. He was exiting his signing. I was entering my signing. He literally mentioned the success of Secret Wars with Jim Shooter. When I talked to him, about how successful he had been on X-Men. He said, oh, but I, nothing I did when I was on X-Men compared to what Shooter was doing with Secret Wars. And I'm like, Chris, you, you, you sold 8 million copies with Jim on X-Men. What are you talking about? He's like, oh, but Secret Wars. I think, I think at the time, it just it took people by surprise. It, it really, the, the success of Secret Wars uh, being the giant seller that it was and, and extending for, for an entire year and just dominating I think it just took everybody by surprise, but it is a signature movement by Jim Shooter. I, I'm not sure that anybody has a moment like that, but I am certain that Dan DiDio does not have that. DC Dan does not have a Secret Wars on his resume. He really did like the word crisis and worked it into as many crossovers as he could uh, during his, his time there. And he, at one point, it seemed like he had a really tight alliance with Jeff Johns. This is what it seemed like sitting here in Orange County until he didn't. And then it seemed like he had a really tight alliance with Jim Lee uh, until he didn't. It looked like he had a tight alliance with Jeff Loeb until he didn't. Um, I have first I, I have first first hand experience with DC Dan. It's not terribly uh it's not lengthy, but I'd say a good couple of years is enough to 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 give a snapshot. But today we're gonna talk about DC Dan and and some of the talent that has come out in the last week in the, in the last week and 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 uh and shared these stories and it is this it, it it's the headline is larry hama and mark wade accused dan didio of blacklisting them from comic books from dc comic books 
And then the headline says, D, uh, Mark Wade takes it even further. The great thing is, this really isn't an article from a comic magazine. It is these two guys on Facebook sharing stories. And what I'm going to read to you is what they shared with their avatars on Facebook. And they have confirmed that they said these things. Because uh, look, we live in an age, m- myself, I've been duped. People are uh, taking my avatar, putting it next to a fake statement, putting artwork that I didn't match up and claiming it was me. So, you know, you do a little due diligence. You follow the rabbit hole. You see, uh, is, is this, is this uh, confirmed? And, and with these stories that I'm going to share with you today, these have been confirmed. The talent that I was going to tell you about that we don't blow enough on this show uh, is Larry Hama. Larry Hama, he's probably like, that's funny, Liefeld. You talk about being in five decades. I've been like in eight. Um, Larry is just comic book royalty. And, and he, he has drawn comics. He has written comics and he created the modern version. And we're still in his version of G.I. Joe, the real American hero. There is an excellent, before I start, there is an excellent Netflix series called The Toys That Made Us. And I cannot recommend to you more highly than to go watch The Toys That Made Us and, and, and the uh, creation of G.I. Joe, getting back to the real American hero. I talk often of my own fondness of the adventure team. They called it the adventure team G.I. Joe that was actually being transitioned out in the 70s because they could no longer, because of the Vietnam War, tie him to military. They didn't think that was a wise you know, uh, move. Obviously, uh, soldiers that were coming back from Vietnam were being spit on. They were, they were seen uh, as being shameful by uh, a very polarizing public and, and a news media that wanted to give you those sensational images. Those were the images that I was watching when I was five, six, and seven because the other thing, while my mom worshipped movie stars, my dad wanted the news on all the time. We had the news on all the time. And, 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 and I mean, if I, if, I said, if I said the words Walter Cronkite and Harry Reasoner to you, you'd be like, who the hell are they? But they were the big, powerful, uh, authoritative anchors. Uh, of of the day when I was growing up, and so military not good. We aren't we aren't in the Reagan years yet, which is the big badass, uh, you know, military m good, uh, military might. You know <laughs> that, that creates this. Uh, look, and, and Top Gun helped too. Between GI Joe and Top Gun, uh, the military became really super sexy. Okay, I'm not talking about what happens after. Those um, kids go into the military. And here's the deal. We have a dear family friend that went, grew up with my son, my oldest son. And he is in the final stages of making it through to the Navy SEALs. And it has been a grueling year. At one point, he got pneumonia and had to tap back out and then restart all over again. But this kid is a beast. He is a monster. We have nothing but respect for all branches of the military. But it is t- what I am bringing to you right now is the viewpoint that I have watched as a kid to where the military was dirty and bad. And I kind of feel like right now we're in that dirty and bad military. But in the 80s, you get this relaunch of G.I. Joe because the military under Ronald Reagan and, and, and you got to understand, man, eight years of Reagan and four years of, 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 of Bush Sr. gave you 12 Republican years. And, and, and it, it, it did change the viewpoint of things. And the military was celebrated. Military might and America was one. It was America is number one. We are the biggest, the brightest, the best. That fed this narrative with GI Joe, military heroes, as well as again Top Gun, and and you know the detractors of Top Gun Maverick. Last year, I've read many people who are like, it just celebrated the war machine. It celebrated the war. Ma-. How about those cool guys in jets 
like performing missions. That's, that's just and Tom Cruise, you know, and Glenn Powell, and 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 you know, how about we just we just had a fun roller coaster ride, and we don't have to make it some crazy, you know, uh, uh, mission. But but there's always somebody who wants to come and rain on your parade. And, and even with a movie that exploded like Top Gun Maverick, there are people who still want to come and rain on that particular movie success uh, uh, and, 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 and position it as feeding the war machine. Okay, so, so well, the war machine was booming uh, when, the, when they were going to redo G.I. Joe and, and, they, and they cover that, that part of that Reagan era vibe was why uh, Hasbro decided to get, you know, reignite G.I. Joe and have a competitive toy line that could sell as, as you know, that, that could compete with Star Wars because Star Wars had kind of been turned down because Lucas had said all that he was going to say by 1983 with Star Wars and, and they were turning that down and they needed, they needed you know, to put more asses in the, in, 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 in the toy stores and, and to get another franchise off the ground. And I highly recommend you watch the G.I. Joe, the toys that made us. It's great. Larry is not featured near enough, but he is credited even by the people who were there at Hasbro. As developing and creating so many of the different G.I. Joe names, characters, identities, visuals. Because again, Larry Hama can draw. I inked a Larry Hama cover. Uh, uh, fellow fan collector friend named Ted got a commission from Larry of Snake Eyes. And I begged him, uh, will you let me, you know, ink this? And, and, and then I contacted Larry. Larry said, cool. And, and it, was a, it was a cover, uh, a variant cover to one of our final issues of snake eyes dead game again there's no snake eyes without larry hama there's there's none of this stuff larry was integral in creating the the lore that we continue to celebrate and he's one of the uh longest you know writers on any series ever he's like up there with claremont in regards to 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 staying with a group of characters as long as he has and larry's work has continued now uh from from idw from marvel to idw to now you know they're gonna continue it over at the skybound image comic series but larry is based on gi joe alone just mega legendary mega because what whatever has happened in the media with gi joe the comic book has always been semi uh well revered there have been there have been times it has you know gone under the radar but but it, it's been there it's it, it stood this test test of time uh this the real american hero version of it as again, they turned down the the military association in the seventies, went to a adventure team model, and then that really didn't take. And that's why those shows, the, 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 that's why those uh, toys disappeared. And then there was a gap. And in when they brought back GI Joe, obviously it was a cartoon, it was a toy, it was a Marvel comic book. It was this three pronged assault that energized everyone. So so Larry is has a giant resume. Mark Wade, uh, you may know him from. Kingdom Come, his Superman work. I think currently, if I'm not off my rocker, he's writing a Superman and Batman book. It may actually be called World's Finest. Uh, he wrote a Flash that is adored. Uh, Mark is is uh, predates me in the comic book industry. Definitely the generation before me, and has done all manner of celebrated works. He is uh, incredibly. Uh, he has an incredibly loyal and dedicated fan base and and again something like kingdom come which is a giant resume piece as well alongside with uh with alex ross is is a huge huge achievement and something that he will always be remembered for well both of these guys 
So you got legendary G.I. Joe creator Larry Hama and Kingdom Come uh, writer Mary, uh, Mark Wade. They went public after Dan DiDio went on some interview show. And like just shock of shocks, Larry Hama says, and this is I'm reading exactly Larry Hama. Uh, some of you may know Larry from his Wolverine work. Let me, let me not like leave that out. He took over Wolverine uh, alongside Mark Silvestri, who was transitioning from X-Men, and they did the most banging, incredible uh, Wolverine run in, in, in the very early 90s. Again, Larry is incredibly accomplished, the sweetest guy, uh, just somebody who, again, uh, the industry reveres and, and continues. He's going to say something shocking here, but that I, I can kind of semi-relate to it, but, but we'll get to it. But, but again, Larry's comic book royalty. Huge achievements, giant resume. He writes, in regards to Dan DiDio, he blacklisted me at the exact same time I was blacklisted at Marvel. I didn't work for like eight years, Larry writes. Dan asked me to take on a title that I thought should be written by a woman, and I told him so. He said, and then he says, he did the same thing to Christopher Priest, saying he blacklisted us. Pretty bold, pretty concise statement. Of course, you're going to have fans immediately on Facebook, and, and there's a lot of interaction on Facebook. L- lots of times when people want to get the most reaction, Facebook has the most, I think, uh, the best interface for, for real long-form arguments. T- Twitter does not, because suddenly you're talking to 200 people you don't really want to be talking to on a platform like Twitter or slash X. In Facebook, if you made the statement and it's coming from your your page and your statement, you can control some of the narrative and by control, I mean, weed out the crazies. Okay. Well, so he makes this point, point. He says, DC Dan, I'm calling him DC Dan. So in regards to DC Dan, Larry speaks up and says he blacklisted me. And then he gives you the reason why he says, uh, Larry had previously claimed earlier this year that he had been back blacklisted by both Marvel and DC. He, he elaborates saying I was considered a commercial hack by organized comic fandom for my entire Marvel run of G.I. Joe. So here's the thing I said that was really surprising. I don't, like, everybody I knew dug G.I. Joe. And and for a period, it was Marvel's top-selling book. I don't believe that anyone, especially the kids, and I was a kid at the time, and yes, I count 14 and 15 as being a kid, uh, buying the launch of G.I. Joe and buying each and every issue. No one thought Larry was a hack. We all adored him. We thought he was the greatest. What I think is there were other people probably come from jealousy because that's where it always comes from. The, the guys who are the greenest with envy. Um, Larry had uh, his seat at that G.I. Joe table for years and years and years. It was a uh, it was a dedicated platform that he had uh, on a popular project that sold at the top of the charts. And maybe there was voices coming from people who were jealous, but certainly not from the fans. So when he writes, I was considered considered a commercial hack by organized comic fandom for my entire Marvel run of G.I. Joe. He elaborates, he says, I was considered not good enough to write for the G.I. Joe animated series. My Marvel run was mostly ignored by the fanzines. Uh, and then he says, I was considered not good enough to teach comics at SVA. So, you know, hearing this about Larry Hama is shocking, but he identifies a very st- distinct 
encounter that he had with DC Dan, where DC Dan, according to Larry Hama, DC Dan then, when he didn't do what DC Dan asked him, that DC Dan uh, blacklisted him. Um, Larry says he learned very early to ignore the negativity. Uh, And uh, I mean, honestly, in this business, which again, I compare a lot to sports and any other, look, nowadays, Everything changed when we put this phone in our hands and we can all weigh in at all times. It's very dangerous. It's, it's, it's certainly uh, not what the fandom before us had to deal with. And I actually think that if this was in, I've said many times, there would have been different decisions made, different things happened in the 90s had this uh, iPhone been in our hands or your smartphone. So Larry has, Larry Hama, G.I. Joe, legendary Larry, has said that DC Dan, uh, you know, turned him down. He said, the head honcho was pissed that I turned down a job offer because I thought the project should have been written by a woman. So, and that is in, the, that is in, re, in response to someone named Blaine Benson who said, how did you get blacklisted? Blacklisted, Larry. Okay. And, and so Larry is now elaborating on his earlier comment and again let's let's repeat that the head honcho was pissed that i turned out a job offer because i thought the project should have been written by a woman so uh then larry goes on and says and i am reading from larry on facebook i have no grudge against marvel or dc they are corporate entities i was done dirty by execs who are no longer at either company i harbor no enmity towards the editors artists and writers who stabbed me in the back conspired to have me fired off books so that they could write them themselves and took credit for my work, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Again, when you're a legend, okay, the NBA has their Larry legend. We have our Larry legend, and that's Larry Hama. And when he says, I was done dirty by execs who are no longer at either company, I harbor no enmity towards the editors, artists, and writers who stabbed me in the back, conspired to have me fired off books so they could write them themselves, took credit for my work, et cetera, et cetera. And then he ends it with, as my old compadre, Howard Chaikin stated, my revenge is living well, having a loving family, wonderful friends, loyal fans. Amen. Amen to that, Larry. That is how we all uh, see it. And, and, and when he says Howard Chaikin, I have a dedicated episode of Rob Observations to Howard Chaikin and how he transforms comics and Dark Knight and Watchmen would not exist and look and feel the way they did. It's uh, Chaikin, American Flag. Look it up in the back catalog. I just recommend um, it will awaken you to an incredible body of work. He was uh, a trailblazer of trail, trailblazers. But again, so, so, and I've seen Larry. I, uh, look, I jumped out from behind my own table at Chicago uh, 2021. I think coming out of the pandemic, they were putting on their, uh, their, their C2E2 and Larry was there. I said, Larry, can I get a picture? I just, I just, I need a picture with you. I, I, I just want to, you know, a memory of him and I together because I'm such a fan and Larry could not have been sweeter and kinder. And, uh, and he said, Hey, I've gotten all your books. IDW sent me all your snake eye stuff. So, cause I was gathering up books and he's like, I've already got them. I've already got them. He's just the sweetest guy. And again, cannot be understated how talented this man is. He, he draws. This dude is an illustrator, a storyteller, a writer, a creator. It, it, it's everything. Well, Mark Wade kingdom come, Mark Wade uh, weighs in on what Larry Hama has stated. And he includes, again, I am reading exactly 
from Mark Wade's response on Facebook. And he, in response to DC Dan, says, Larry Hama, add Devin Grayson, Alan Grant, and me, and a half a dozen artists. DC Dan had a long list. He says he had a long list, for, but for, for this show to keep you focused, I have to say DC Dan so you know who we're talking about. Then uh, another fan weighs in uh, and says, I can't fathom that that list would include you, Mark. This is a fan named Brock McDonald. He says, Larry Grant and Grayson uh, uh, on a writers I won't hire list. That's fucking insane, writes Brock McDonald. Uh, a, A gentleman named Kwanzaa says the comics industry is better off with that petty person. He's speaking of DC Dan, no longer in a position of power. Uh, Another fan weighs in and says, Larry Hama, holy shit, Mark Wade, holy shit. I had no idea. I am so retroactively angry right now. Mark Wade then adds in also Mike Waringo, the late, great Mike Waringo. He's he's saying, he's confirming right here that Mike Waringo, he is confirming as far as his information from his perspective, Mark Wade is stating that DC Dan also blacklisted Mike Waringo. The fan says, that's bonkers. And the fan says, well, now I'm grabbing a torch and a pitchfork. Wade finishes this saying, did I mention Humberto Ramos? And when I read that, I had to think, when has Humberto Ramos done like DC work? And so I'm going to add myself to this because I can also say Rob Liefeld. I butted my hand, but butted heads with DC Dan. Uh, DC Dan called me about the time that I was doing. And I've recounted this. Uh, please go listen to, I think it's the DC New 52 ed- episode. And, and you will hear stories that I had never encountered at that point in my career. And at that point in my career, I was well into my 25 years in comic books. I had seen and done a lot of stuff. And both Bob Harris, the editor-in-chief at the time, because uh, DC Dan was publisher now. He was publisher. He, uh, and, and co-executive editor, he and, in the reshuffling, and there have been a lot of reshufflings, the titles kept changing. Uh, but Bob Harris was installed as editor-in-chief. DC Dan was publisher. My, an editor that I worked with over at Marvel named Mike March, yes, exactly like the old Rams coach, uh, they had called me to tell me, Rob, you're not going to believe what just happened. And if you want to know what that just happened is go listen to that DC 52 episode. Uh, Cause there's a lot of crazy shit in that story. Like uh, just contradiction after contradiction after contradiction. I've never had so many editors call me and say, said one thing this day, said something else this day, said one thing this afternoon, said something else this morning. So, so constantly back and forth. But uh, after DC Dan called me, and said, do you want to write Deathstroke, Grifter, and Hawkman? Would those interest you? And I, I loved Hawkman, loved Deathstroke, and thought, I really don't want to write Grifter, but I'll take the challenge. Because he said, they're all slipping in sales, and I need somebody who knows action, knows suspense, who can get these books going. Now, great news, they all went up in sales. I took it, but... We started talking, three weeks turned into about five weeks, and then he asked me to come to Burbank, which now DC is headquartered at. And we went to the local steakhouse, and he talked to me more definitively about my plans and my vision for these books. And long story short, at the end, as he wiped the steaks off off his mouth with his, with his, with his napkin, 
he said to me, okay, I'm sold. Now I'm going to go. And one of the writers was meeting him after lunch. He goes, now I'm going to go break the news to this writer and tell them they're off the book. And I said, you haven't told them they're off the book yet? He goes, nope, but I am now. And it was a weirdo feeling. I, again, by this time, you guys, uh, I myself have worked really hard to achieve, you know, the success that I achieved in the business. And it felt very, I will use the word icky. Icky sounds good here. That, wait a second, I thought I was coming up to discuss the job and uh, then kind of found out that I only really kept the job or sealed the job uh, at, at the very end of this lunch, which, which he is now going to go and ax the guy who was before me on one of those titles. And it was very gruff and he carried himself gruff and he, and he left. Uh, I was having all sorts of literally just the contradictions were growing and the frustration was growing to the point where I just, I just left in, in August of 20, 12, I just said, I've, I've had enough. I've, I've done this for over a year between Hawk and Dove, Deathstroke, Grifter, and Hawkman. Um, I, I, just, I just needed to get off this roller coaster. D- the DC Comics experience under DC Dan uh, was something I had never experienced before. Many years go by. An editor is standing in front of me in 2018 New York Comic Con. An editor that I recognize and who I have never, ever engaged with. And he says to me, he says, Rob, would you like to do covers for DC Comics? I said, I don't think you have the clearance to offer me that job. I am not in good standing. And I'm just, I'm just laughing. Like, you know, again, I'm, I'm standing at my table. There's, there's a, a pause. This editor approaches me. He, he, he puts forth this notion. And he says, no, no, no. Look, Rob, I am talking to you because you moved the needle and I need to sell books and I need you on covers. Would you be interested in doing covers for Superman and the Justice League? And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. We're not talking about doing covers for Infinity Inc. and Batman and the Outsiders, okay? Uh, These are the big top titans. He flew home. He gave me those assignments. During this period, there was a narc. Let's call him the narc. He's a funny narc, a sad narc. The sad narc I think immediately got the word back to the powers that be that this editor had engaged with me. You've got those covers. The two Superman and the one Justice League came out and they did do very well and they did add numbers. But not only was I informed I would be doing no more covers after I turned them in, uh, that editor was relieved. And it had the, to me, it just, it reeked of uh, every encounter that I had had with, with DC Dan. And, and, uh, who knows, man, maybe I've always wondered if this guy was going out anyway and he decided I'm going to go out spectacularly. I'm going to, I'm going to serve up for DC Dan, a couple of Rob Liefeld covers because they don't like each other, but that, uh, very bold and gruff, uh, engagement. And then to have Larry Hama. So don't believe Rob Liefeld. Don't believe, put mine aside, but you better damn well believe Larry Hama when he says, that because he offended this gentleman, and these are Larry's words, that, that he believed he was back, blacklisted. 
And then Mark Wade boldly stating, not just him, but many, many, many more. Now, this doesn't end. There's another writer named B. Claymore who uh, has written uh, all manner of comics over the last several decades in the 2000s. And uh, B. Claymore jumps into the fray and says, Hey, Larry, I know people he blacklisted. He's talking about DC Dan who asked him to his face about it, at which point DC Dan lied to them about it not being true. He doubled down on shitty behavior. Uh, Then Mark Wade responds to B. Clay Moore. And he says, true, at least once, DC Dan actually came up to me and told me that he'd heard that I thought Mark speaking of himself that I was blacklisted and it wasn't true. A quick call to DC editors proved exactly the opposite. They told, they told Mark, we were told in no uncertain terms to never hire you. So this is Mark's own. Again, during my own time there, an editor said, I've been asked to have you work this character into the story. I worked that character into the story only to have the pages as they were going to press. Uh, shown to DC Dan and DC Dan erupted and said, I would never have asked for this character to be in this story. And the editor said, but you asked me. And he said, I would never have done that. I mean, the kind of haywire, uh, those incidents have never occurred to me in Marvel comics. have never occurred to me with my own work. have never occurred to me uh, doing, doing snake eyes and GI Joe at IDW. That, 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 that stuff just never happened. Uh, it only happened to me under when, when DC Dan was running the show. Again, many of the times in these exchanges when Larry or Mark Wade or B. Claymore say he or him, I'm trying to refocus you and bring the moniker of DC Dan. So DC Dan was, um, and this is something to get back to powers, you know, editors-in-chief and the powers they have. Some guys, ultimately, they just get they just get drunk on all that power, man. They just get drunk on all that power and authority. And when I would step aside and watch this guy, he loved it. People said he loved uh running the show. He loved running the panels. He loved talking. He was removed. Was it right before the pandemic? Was it 2020? Uh, DC Dan was relieved. And uh, DC Dan hasn't been at DC for the better part of three years. It then fell on uh, Jim Lee because they were co-executive branch. Uh, again, the, the, I don't have the titles in front of me. Um, and I got to tell you, kudos. Literally, kudos to Jim Lee for always staying in the picture. There's a movie called The Kid Stays in the Picture. And it is about a a tremendously successful movie executive that that, that went on to be a tremendous uh, a tremendous producer. They made a documentary. There, there's a documentary about his life called uh the kid stays in the picture and it's about Robert Evans. He was the executive that greenlit Godfather and, and, and brought that all the way to the screen. And because of the success of Godfather, which prior to Star Wars and Jaws was the blockbuster movie, uh, Robert Evans became this prolific producer in Hollywood. But if you know Hollywood, that's musical chairs and you got to dance and you got to stay you know, in the, in the picture, you got to stay in the picture because someone is always looking to deal you out of the deck. 
They, they don't want you on the project as a producer, as an executive producer, as a writer. Writers take their scripts to 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 uh, you know to to, to, the, to the to the to the guild to get them to deliberate and 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 uh, bring down a decision on who's going to get the chief credit and and, and th- this writer that writer who who contributed more. I've had friends who've, who've been a part of this. You've read about this stuff. New executive comes in, says, I didn't buy any of this shit. I want it out of here. <laughs> and then you're totally out of the picture. So, so look, in, in the musical chairs of DC Comics, honestly, it is, it is a giant flex that Jim has stayed in the picture for holy, like literally 25 years. Holy shit, that's a long time. It, think about that the, 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 the X-Men run that you love Jim so, so much for. Uh, and in, Jim's time on X-Men and, and, and his time in Image Comics combined are only like a third of, of the time that he has been at DC Comics. So he's been there a long time. And at some point, I think Jeff Johns was like a creative guy too. Uh, but, but like Jim has outlived all these cats and uh, is still the whatever title that he has. I'm going to call him uh, important executive guy. Okay, most important executive guy, because as, as with all this stuff, I don't have these titles in front of me. But DC Dan uh, was was removed or relieved. I, I, I'm I, I'm thinking of uh, at the end of Star Trek, the 2009. You, you um, we relieve you of your duties, and he says, "I am relieved." Uh, as 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 then Kirk takes takes on the is it Pike? I think it's Pike that that says that. So yeah, really funny stuff. But when you're the guy, the publisher, the ASC, you can blacklist people. And, and, and what is it about that, public, about that power? And, and I'm going to tell you, some publishers act like editors-in-chiefs. Some editors-in-chief act like publishers. So just so we're clear, while those titles are slightly different, the powers are not always exclusive to one or the other. They, they, they kind of share in the, the ability you blacklist and green light and pull the plug and go in a different direction and so this happened this is barely a week old as i bring this to you larry hama says i got blacklisted mark wade says i got blacklisted now mark wade is back uh at dc and there's all i couldn't even tell you who a dc editor was and look this was about dc dan it wasn't it's not about the, the current people doing it other than I know that Jim Lee is, is the, the, the guy high up on the masthead, important executive guy, uh, as, as on the Flintstones, they would call him the grand poobah and, and, and let's get that big giant. I don't know what it was. Was it a woolly mammoth, a giant fur hat, giant fur hat and put it on Jim's head. He is the grand poobah. He outlived, uh, all of the other, uh, people at the table. Um, but, but while DC Dan was doing his thing, Apparently, the dish is <laughs> he had quite the blacklist. And if you are, if Mark Waid is to be believed, that had some incredibly important and uh, talented creators on it. And 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 when you see, when you look at the name, and then you kind of go back and do your own math, and go, wow, he really never was on a book during this time. Again, the Umberto Ramos thing was really an eye opener when when Wade res- responds to to B Claymore and. Uh, states the the umberto ramos thing i'm like like wow the, the light went on so hey comic books has some dish the creators they are a talking and they're talking about a time with uh 
I, I, like I said, I, I just, there's no secret wars on that resume as a publisher, as an editor in chief. Uh, there, there's no, there, but, but he did like his, there, there was a man. I feel like I could just say like a finer crisis. And that was a series, a dark crisis, a final crisis, along with a finer crisis, maybe an infinite crisis. This dude loved crisis. He loved the mega blockbuster, uh, transformational series that Marv Wolfman and George Perez put forth in 1985. He loved that. He used crisis all the time. DC Dan loved uh, the word crisis, but none of them were significant to the point where they were like a secret wars, a, a, a signature, a banner. But I don't think anybody has a secret wars other than Jim Shooter, uh, who again has that incredible resume. When I say, say something, say something and I say, Hey, this guy, this is the reason this guy is my favorite. Uh, I try and back it up again. But Jim Shooter launched Frank Miller, gave him his first few jobs, and then said, go ahead and write this, and took a very popular writer off the book and, and set a precedence uh, for, for many other moves like that that would come. Uh, Walt Simonson was, was doing licensed comics between Alien, the, the Ridley Scott graphic novel adaptation, Battlestar Galactica, and Star Wars. And he greenlit the epic, like, multi-year tenure of Walt Simonson on on Thor, transformational run, second only to Jack Kirby, second only. Uh, split the baby, Claremont and Byrne were, were having a divorce. It was Kramer versus Kramer. If you don't understand that, then you've never seen the Dustin, Half, Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep classic. And he uh, and, and 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 split the baby is a is a biblical reference to Solomon. For those who are, who are like, what is split baby? What <laughs> what is split the baby? So so uh. Go read the Book of Solomon. Go go read Kings, and, and you'll figure that stuff out. Uh, Sunday school was 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 a couple days yes, a couple days ago. We're not doing it here today on Rob's observations. He wisely pivoted, giving John Byrne the fantasy for the entire reigns. Right, draw, do your own thing. John Byrne went on and did that for five years. Chris Claremont stayed on X Men, and both titles went to giant, uh, top of the chart success. The the mega series, the mini series from, I mean, just so many different uh, platforms, talents. Uh, the, the, and, and then again, I just always land the plane with, if you read those Jim Shooter Avengers issues, they were the best issues of the Avengers ever written, full stop, period. Uh, Count Nefaria, the Ultron Saga, and Korvac alone are like all-time bangers, okay? So that's, that's, to me, that's a high bar. And he was the EIC, but Shooter really functioned, wore a lot of hats. And uh, Dan DiDio, DC Dan, he had, he had a blacklist according to Larry Hama and Mark Wade, and we enjoyed it, and we talked about it today. And, uh, and, and if there's more to come on this topic, you bet your bottom dollar I will cover it here. Again, those quotes and comments were read directly from Larry and Mark. And again, Obviously, two giant talents with giant fan bases. And Mark and I don't even like each other. Like, like Mark Wade does not like me. And we are not friends. So I am not uh, taking up with Mark Wade with something, uh, uh, you know, something to gain. Larry Hama and I are casual acquaintances other than the fact that Larry knows that I am a giant slobbering fan uh, when it comes to him. And uh, so great stuff. Great stories. Had to get the dish out there. Had to serve it up hot before it got cold and that's what we did and i thank you and thank you for another 
uh, trip down the, the, the comic book industry and, and the people and the powers behind it and, uh, and the people at the, I love this word, the levers. Don't say lever. It doesn't have the same levers, the, pe- the people behind the levers of control in the industry. And sometimes when they have this power, they abuse it. There, like I said, there are going to be people who tell you with every Marvel EIC that I mentioned that they had power and they abused it and they were blacklisted. Everybody's got their stories. Everybody's got their sad songs. And when they have their sad songs, we try and allow those sad songs to be sung here on Raw, on, on Raw Observations. Uh, sung on Raw Observations. I think they were sung very well today. We heard some sad songs, some funny songs. Uh, there, there was some vitriol. The one guy ended. The one fan said, I'm going to get a pitchfork. Ay, ay, ay. That's getting scary. Okay. Uh, and that is a wrap on DC Dan against the world. And I just thank you once again for supporting the show. Once again, just driving all sorts of traffic to this uh, podcast, which is free to access on all platforms. Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Apple. We are all over the place. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for sharing the show. You guys know that at the end of each and every episode, I read your reviews. And uh, I got to tell you, you are just, the reviews, I, I check before I go on each week. And wow, I, I, we have so many. Um, I'm so elated. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one to you today from Yankees. 1912 Yankees 1912 left us an incredible review you 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 guys ladies and gentlemen this these reviews help us stand out on the platform so much they help elevate us and give us a profile and, and again you're gonna you're gonna read from this review this guy found out about Rob's observation standing in line let me read it to you it says what took me so long to become a fan speaking of Rob's observations This is Yankees 1912. He gives us five stars very generously. Thank you so much. He says, I have always been a huge fan of Rob Liefeld's work since I became a comic book fan many years ago. I had the privilege of meeting Rob last Thursday at the New York Comic Con. While I was waiting in line, I heard a few people mention his podcast and how great it was. I made a decision while standing there that I was going to check it out and give it a try. After meeting Rob, it only convinced me more that I would enjoy enjoy it. I have had the pleasure of meeting a few great comic book artists over the years, but Rob was by far the most friendly and energetic one that I have ever met. Now, not only am I a fan of his art, but I am also a fan of his podcast. This podcast will become a must-listen for me from now on. Okay, that, that, that is the greatest story that from the line at New York Comic Con that, that, that people were talking about the podcast because I'm going to tell you and I tell my wife, I tell my family, the thing that people want to talk to me about the most is this show right here. Uh, and I am so excited to share comics history. I mean, come on, you got DC Dan dishing blacklists today. I mean, is there a more ripe, low-hanging fruit that I can take from the tree and share from you? And maybe there are some of you who weren't aware. I guarantee you, I'm going to get that. I didn't know this, Okay. I, I am trying, I am surfing, I am out there, I am I am literally fishing, trying to bring this stuff to you. Thank you so much for enjoying the podcast. I'm so glad that you discovered it uh, in line at a comic book show. That just makes me, that just brings the biggest smile on my face. Thank you, Yankees1912. I'm so glad uh, that we met and we had a great encounter. It was so fun meeting so many of you at New York Comic Con, uh, but you specifically thank you for this and this review. I know what it means to fire it up, get the keyboards out 
write it, send it. Thank you. It is appreciated. And uh, I am truly humbled by the enthusiasm that you guys have for the show and, and by the, uh, the, it, the excitement that you're sharing it. I am all over social media. When I'm not doing this podcast, I'm on social media over on Twitter slash X. I am Robert Liefeld. I didn't get Rob Liefeld. I was too late to that dance, but I am Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, straight, got a blue check, tells you that I am the real deal. I am the, uh, the, the genuine article that you were speaking to. I love your, inter- your, your replies, our interactions, our back and forth. So uh, enjoy just interacting with you over on Twitter. Give me a follow. I would love to make your acquaintance over on X, over on Twitter. And uh, that's where I'm just constantly sharing uh, excitement, enthusiasm. Uh, I used I used to, you know, misuse Twitter. Don't do that anymore. I'm just for the last six seven years, I just keep it positive. Just want to share good vibes, and I hope that we can vibe together over on Twitter slash X. Come on, Elon. It was such a great name. Twitter was such a great name. Okay, I'm also on Instagram. My videos, my reels, my pictures of what I'm eating, drawing where I am with my family. Am I in the mountains? Am I in Orange County? Am I in France? Am I in Italy? Am I in New York, uh, San Diego, whatever? You can follow me on Instagram. It's like my video diary of my life. Uh, I, I show you what the, the stuff that I'm drawing, working on, projects, uh, the people I'm hanging with. It, it's so fun. I, Instagram is my favorite by far of all the social media platforms. I would invite you to follow me. I'm Rob Liefeld. I, I, I got Rob Liefeld over there. Thank you to the beautiful Joy Liefeld who early on said, you will like this. Get your name and protect it now. And I did. At Rob Liefeld, another blue check signifies I am the genuine article. I am the real deal. And I would love to talk to you. I, I, I read all your comments, your replies, your messages, your DMs. Thank you for following me on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. If you want more of what we're doing here, more interaction, more long form back and forth. I already mentioned Facebook is a great place to do it. We have a group, Facebook group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It's Rob Liefeld. Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the name of the group. Search for it. Find us. Myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you through. We're the administrators of the group. Uh, we have great discussions, long form. So much of what we talk about here gets picked up and talked about uh, further there. We have art contests each and every week. We have incredibly talented people who are showing their art, their comics all the time. We would love to see you over at Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. That's the name of the group that's going to pop up. I hope that you select it and click to join us. We would love to have you and love and hope to see you over there. I am on WhatNot, a collectible app. It is fantastic. And as we head into kind of the holiday season, you're going to want to check out all of the signed comics, remarks, action figures, Funkos. Uh, We are going to bring them to bear. This is a great time of the year. WhatNot, I am Rob Liefeld on WhatNot. Download the app if you want sports cards, memorabilia, toys, Funkos, comic books. This is your place. Uh, We have had the best time the last year. We have another few exclusives that we have yet to uh, announce that are coming on the platform that you can, you're can you only going to be able to get from me uh, on WhatNot. The, the great thing about WhatNot is, you know, I'm home, I'm doing my comics, I'm not on the road. Some of my peers, I look at their schedules, they're doing 10, 15, 20 shows a year. Um, I, I am uh, broadcasting, you'll see from my studio on my beanbag, talking right to you during the WhatNot. There's not some guy who's like, and uh, here's lot A and lot B and lots. No, I am showing you the comic. I am showing you the remark. I am showing you the the illustration uh i love it it's great great interaction 
uh, with fans as long as it's it's it, it's it's respectful and positive and we keep it up. It's it's super fun. Many of you say it's an extension of this very podcast because I'm sitting there talking to you sometimes for 90 minutes, two hours, three hours, whatever it is. Get whatnot, download it, follow me, Rob Liefeld, and you'll be alerted when I go live. I generally do Wednesdays and Saturdays. Uh, lately, we've been doing only one show a week for like the last five, six weeks, but we're gonna about to boot up. And as we head into holiday season, hit those shows uh, more, and you're going to see more of me. We're going to have more cool stuff to share. So follow me and whatnot, and you'll get alerted uh, when I go live and, and all the cool uh, exclusives. We've already, we've already gotten, we, we, we've, we've got our, our Captain America, Sam Wilson, Cap, uh, basically the, the Captain America homage that I did. That is a whatnot exclusive. Uh, I did a New Mutants Deadpool 98 uh, facsimile exclusive. I did a Spider-Man exclusive. We did six, yes, six Deadpool Batter Blood number one exclusives. So we've got all sorts of stuff. I have an Evangeline exclusive. I have a Blood Wolf exclusive. I have Brigade and Bloodstrike and Profit Extreme Studios exclusives only through whatnot. Catch me over there. Cannot wait to see you. Cannot wait to interact with you. It is going to be um, a great time when we hook up over on whatnot. Deadpool Batterblood is my comic book that I have produced June, July, August, September, October. It is complete. It is in stores. Go find it. It's got Cable, Wolverine. Uh, Venom Pool, Venom, Deadpool, all brand new characters, Thumper, Ar- uh, Arcada, Killville, just to name a few. It was such a blast to produce for you. Each one of those uh, uh, comic books, each one of those individual comic books should be at your fine comic store. And, uh, and, and hopefully you can grab them off the shelves. They can give you a reorder. Uh, just get out there. I am so proud of this work. So excited to share it with you. That's why I am pumping it up. I, 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 it, it's a bold, uh, bright, brash comic book the likes of which maybe that you were totally digging in the 90s that, that i just wanted to go bigger and and bolder than i had than i had done before and i looked around and saw the kind of the other comic books they seem a little quiet so i went big and i hope that you enjoy uh deadpool batter but if you can get your hands on it again all five issues are out now and and available for you in november i think it's november 15th i have a 10-page story in deadpool uh seven slaughters it's, it's, it's coming out so we're not done yet i still have more to share with you and i look forward to getting uh, for, for you experiencing my 10-page Deadpool story in Deadpool 7 Slaughters that'll be out in November. Super psyched to share that with you. So, what a fun time. We had some dish today. We talked about DC Dan. What a fun time. The end of each and every show, I just give you uh, the most positive affirmation that I can. I want you to be be well. I want your mental and spiritual and physical and emotional health to be exactly where you need to be. And, and if you're like me, you need to get off the treadmill. You need to take time for yourself. Get right. Get out. Get distracted. Uh, go see a great movie. Watch a great show. Read a great comic book, graphic novel, regular novel. Uh, spend time with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Have a great meal. Have 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 cake. Have ice cream. I had both of those things this weekend. Um, boy, when that sugar hits the senses and it kind of starts to stimulate you, and you're like. It, <clears throat> I won't say it, um, but it is a great drug. It is a great drug. Uh, uh, look, great meals, great food. Hit up those food halls, those food trucks. Uh, it's just, you know, take care of yourself. And, and you got to stimulate yourself outside of the grind of either, look, I've raised a family. I, 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 I've still got three kids. I'm still raising them. I'm still, run, you know, helping them out, even though they're now all three adults. I know what that's like. And, and 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 again, I, I I remember the diaper phase and the playground phase and 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 the travel sports, all that stuff. It's great, but it's a grind. And 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 uh, it's just good to get distracted in your work. It may just be bearing down on you.
take that time off for yourself. Get in that recliner, that beanbag chair, that sofa, and just take some hours for yourself. Mix it in with a great meal, great fr- uh, great friends, great fellowship. That is my uh, wish for you. And, and, and we're rooting for you here at Rob Observations. I am going to give you another fist bump right through this Blue Yeti microphone that I speak into. I am wishing you well. I am hoping for the best for you. Please come back and see me. Please don't leave me stranded here. <laughs> come on, circle back around. I'll be here. We will most definitely, absolutely, and all together now, inevitably, talk again real soon. 